Well, greetings and salutations. This is Tony Motoroy on XJTalk.com, and this is the show about Jeep Cherokees, brought to you by XJTalk.com. Did I mention that already? So, uh, I was listening to last week's show, and I noticed I never talked about the power door uh, lock module, the PDM. Power, is how, how does that work? The driver's... Uh, passenger driver module. No, passenger door module. You know, this isn't a live show. I probably should just uh, go back and start over, but I'm not. <laughs> so we'll talk about that first. And also some uh, interesting information that I gathered from uh, getting a nice fuel pressure gauge and testing my 1998 Jeep Cherokee's uh, fuel pressure. That and more coming up in just a minute. XJTalk.com. XJTalk.com. It's where you go when you're not off-road. Hello, this is Kurt, a.k.a. Weldman from Wisconsin. If you're looking to get some great information or share what you know about your XJ, and you need to see some pictures of other XJs to get some great ideas or how-tos, this is the place. We come from all over the world, so you might even make a few great friends. You won't find a better group of people to chat with, and best of all, we don't judge you for your ride, so stock or super modified, you are always welcome here. So look no further, xjtalk.com, the place you need to be. So sign up, sign in, and have some fun. Hey, sweetness. Did you know that xjtalk.com is on Facebook? Just go to facebook.com slash xjtalk and friend us. We're also on Twitter, twitter.com slash xjtalk. Okay. So I was, as I was saying, I completely forgot to talk about the uh, passenger door module, the the thing that controls the the window and the power locks, uh, the window on the passenger side um, front, and the uh, all of the the power locks, including the lock on the uh, the hatch. Now there's a a switch. I guess it would be a um, a child lockout switch on the 
driver's door module, uh, but the the actual controlling of the you know getting power to the um, the uh, actuators in the door locks for the the nineteen ninety eight Jeep Cherokee that I was working on, all that's controlled from the passenger door module. There's actually two relays there, and and when I first started looking at it, I just assumed one relay was for opening. And the other relay was for closing, you know, sending the, the lock-unlock signal. But as I was uh, replacing uh, some um, uh, relays, uh, replacing those relays, I, I actually found that uh, they uh, they seem to both be used in conjunction to send the uh, opening-close signals. In other words, uh, you can have one relay on there, and it won't lock or unlock the the doors. You have to have both relays on there for for the signal to get propagated to those those uh, uh, automatic locks, those lock actuators. So actually, that's changed since uh, since last week when I was uh, uh, doing last week's uh, Wednesday show. Oh, and and actually, before we get uh, more into the power uh, the passenger door module, let me uh, make this uh, this statement. Last week, I mentioned that. Uh, we probably weren't going to be doing the live show anymore, at least um, not right now, since we have had uh, a drop-off in attendance. I guess maybe Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Central might be a bad time, but uh, in, in talking about it on the, the website, xjtalk.com, we never could find a good time for everybody. So it was uh, just kind of judged to leave it uh, Wednesday, 8 p.m. And uh, that is... Uh, I don't know. Maybe the show is not interesting to, to the people uh, that, that have been listening and they're, they're just not listening anymore. Uh, people are still uh, listening to the podcast. So I think it's a matter of convenience and timing and uh, maybe even remembering when the show's on. So um, I'm going to go ahead and make the commitment that I'm going to uh, keep doing the show. I enjoy it. It's uh, it's fun to talk about this stuff. And I'm getting good feedback from the people that are listening. So even if we're, one or two people are listening regularly, uh, I'm going to keep doing it. But for the live show, I'm not going to do that because there's no sense in me uh, making this thing happen at 8 p.m. Central on Wednesdays whenever I could just record it, which was the the original idea anyway, is just to record it and make it available for people to download and listen whenever they wanted to. And uh, you also, uh, I've added a a play button on the uh, xjtalk.com site. It's in the upper right-hand corner. It's just a play button. If you click that, it will uh, pl- start playing the latest uh, podcast. And it plays it in a, uh, a pop-up window, which you may have to go into your browser and allow to, the pop-up window to, to actually come up. But uh, once that pop-up window comes up and uh, XJ Talk uh, show starts playing, you can continue browsing. You can continue browsing on xjtalk.com, or as far as that goes, you can browse anywhere you like. That little window will stay up. And I have about, um, I guess, four or five shows um, queued up inside that uh, that little window. So it'll play the most recent one. Then after that, it'll play the, the next most recent, so on and so forth. So you should have a, a, a multi-hour experience there if, if you actually want to have it. And you uh, you can use the controls to skip uh, to a show that you haven't heard before. So anyway, that's that. And uh, that's why this week's show uh, wasn't available to you on Wednesday, late Wednesday, or early Thursday. Because it's technically Thursday now, about 9.14 p.m. 
And that's the nice thing about being able to record the podcast and not have it live because I can I can do it whenever I have time to do it. And uh, I'm hoping that that will make it a little easier to get people on uh, to interview. If um, if they're if I if I can work the show to fit their schedule, then uh, we can uh, you know maybe have some more guests on. I was hoping that we would get um, uh, Jensen on and we could uh, talk about his uh, most recent race, but uh, I think he may have gone offline. I'd send him a little message, but we'll see. Maybe he'll pop in. Okay, back to the power. I'm sorry, I keep saying power because it's power locks. The passenger door module. It's called a PDM. There's the DDM and the PDM. And those are the the switches and buttons that uh, allow you to raise and lower the windows and lock and unlock the doors. And I think this is uh, it may be uh, maybe a common thing uh, on on more than just the 97 plus uh, Jeep Cherokees, but I only have uh, experience now with two two types of Cherokees, or actually two year model Cherokees, and that's the 98 and the 99. So that's what I'm going to have to talk to. Uh, that I'll have to speak about what what I have experience in. So um, whenever I was, uh, whenever I had taken the the um, when I had found out that the relays are actually on the passenger door module, I removed the inside of the door panel, um, disconnected the um, the uh, the metal lines that run to the manual lock, and then unhooked the uh, the harness from the uh, two connection points, electrical connection points on the uh, passenger door module, and. Um, was actually able to, through a little uh, more research, I was actually able to find out that you need to pop the, the little buttons uh, off before you can remove the circuit board. And uh, they're on, they fit on there very tight, and I, I was really afraid that I was going to break it. But uh, reading, I, I saw that that's just how you get them off. You put a screwdriver underneath there, and uh, you pry them off, and they, they do come off. But, boy, it's a, a very nice piece of engineering. They, they, t- they fit very tightly. So anyway, once those buttons are off, uh, I'm able to get the circuit board out. Unfortunately, <clears throat> the way the unit is designed, they have um, the circuit board uh, soldered directly to the pins that make up the two uh, harness connectors on the back of the um, passenger door module. So the only way to expose the connection points for the relays, where they're, where they're soldered to the circuit board is to unsolder all those pins so at least i was able to get the part numbers off of the relays and after tapping on the relay the relays with the the back of a uh, uh sort of say hammer a back of a screwdriver i got the the locking working as well as the unlocking so that lasted about a day and it stopped locking again so that led me to believe that it was probably a relay probably a relay that was sticking and uh, not allowing the uh, the lock signal to to be sent out. So anyway, uh, I found some some uh, relays with that exact part number online for seven dollars and fifty cents a piece, and I believe that's that was a little high, but there wasn't a lot of choices. They had a twenty five dollar minimum order, so I ordered four. Um, I could have ordered three, but I figured I've got two Jeep Cherokees. Uh, 97 plus Cherokees. So <laughs> if one's gone out, the chances are good the other one's going to go out too. So I uh, ordered four of those, which wound up being uh, $30 and then $6 shipping. 
So it was a total of $36 to get four of these little relays. And then, uh, I don't know, I guess it was maybe three days after ordering those that they showed up. So um, that evening, after I received them, that evening I went out, removed the door panel, removed the, the circuit board uh, from the, the enclosure, and um, had thought about it. I didn't want to really unsolder those pins to remove the circuit board. Uh, so I thought, well, what I will do is I'll use my Dremel tool and a little cutoff wheel, and I'll cut a rectangular uh, opening in the back of the uh, PDM so that I can uh, get the soldering iron to the uh, contacts of the, 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 the two relays. There's five connection points on each relay. So that's what I did. It worked out well. I was able to cut a good, the right size rectangle so that I could get to all those pins. And uh, I did it in, you know, the, the, uh, just cut the, the the one thing. I didn't have to do it in pieces, so I had a nice big, uh, uh, correct size fitting rectangular panel to put back in that hole. I would just be able to put it back and tape it back in place. Although I don't think that's any big deal to have it exposed. Um, you know, the, it's twelve volts. Water shouldn't be getting there. Even if it does, it's twelve volts. Uh, if it's fresh water, it's not going to do anything anyway, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, to make it look a little nice, I did it that way so that I could at least uh, put it back and have it look somewhat um, uh, factory when I was done. So I opened up that, I exposed the the back of the circuit board where the relays were. And, and by the way, all this is available on xjtalk.com uh, with pictures uh, so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. Once that area was exposed, I heated up the uh, the connection points uh, for the the two relays that were you know in there from the factory, and I used uh, compressed air to blow the solder away and and basically uh, free the pins from from the relay off the circuit board. And once I uh, once I had heated all of those, and it was a fairly quick process. Once I had heated all those and got the solder off those connection points, I was able to uh, remove uh, both relays without much difficulty at all. So then I took two new relays and put them in there and bent the pins over so that it would hold itself on the circuit board and then took some, some solder and the soldering iron and, and heated the, the board and the pins and got a good uh, non-cold solder joint connection and uh, put it back in the, the door and tested it and it worked, locked and unlocked. So uh, that seems to have solved the problem. However, I was, uh, I was trying to lock the doors today, and it wouldn't lock. So I was a little puzzled by that. Uh, I thought about the, the alarm system I have on the Jeep and thinking that maybe it was trying to do something, you know, sending a pulse out at the time, and I waited a little bit and tried it again, and it still didn't work. So um, I uh, just uh, hit on the side of the door where the, the PDM is, just gave it a, a nice little shot, not not really very hard. Just kind of gave it a bump and tried it, and it was working. So uh, there there may be a bad connection in there that I missed. Uh, I don't know how because it was I know how to solder things, so I'm not exactly sure where that where that problem may be. But it's not a hundred percent yet. I mean, that's it's one failure after. Uh, two days of it working without any issues. So 
well, I'll just have to continue to see, uh, continue to use it and see what happens. But at this point, it looks like um, it certainly it, it was a hundred percent failure before, and now it's you know running at ninety eight percent, I guess. So it's a it's a vast improvement over where it was. You don't uh, you don't realize um, how big a pain in the butt it is when you can't lock the doors until you have to manually lock four doors and then put the key in the hatch and lock it. And uh, if I didn't have an alarm system uh, on the Jeep uh, that I had to, you know, press the, the un, to, uh, to disable the alarm, it probably wouldn't be that big a deal. But because I have that and I wasn't able to find in the, the setup of the alarm where you could uh, disable the automatic unlocking of the doors, um, I had to uh, go through the manual locking process. So I was, uh, I was, needless to say, I was a bit motivated to get that, that problem resolved. And, and so far, I'm uh, pretty happy with the results. So uh, that's the, the PDM uh, passenger door module. And again, not only is the passenger window control and the power locks control uh, on that, uh, that circuit board, the, it also has the main relays that power all the locks in the Jeep. So, you know, you might think it's over on the other side, but they put it on the passenger door side. I think probably because they didn't have space on the driver's door module, since it has all the switches for all the windows, a, a child lockout uh, for the locks, et cetera, et cetera. And I did find that the, that the um, uh, DDM on the 1999 seems to have a problem with the child lockout button. So I'll be having to take that one apart and uh, hopefully just clean that uh, that switch because none of the switches uh, that control the uh, the locks or the windows uh, work in the 99 with the exception of the driver's door module. So it's like all the locks have been locked out, and I think it's probably this that uh, that child lockout button is uh, even though you disable you you, know, uh, you uh, unpress it, it still is act, still thinks it's engaged. So another thing that I've been uh, been wanting to try to figure out is why my 98 uh, Cherokee is requiring uh, multiple start attempts. And it doesn't seem to, it, it seems to have gotten worse uh, over time. And um, I remember uh, not too long ago, it would, uh, I mean, you'd barely even have to bump the starter and it would start right up. So I had been asked, you know, did you can you hear the the fuel pump running, and uh, have you tried the turning the the key on uh, to the on position, start to the run position, and then off on off three times, and then trying to start it, which which I have I, I've read about that, and I did try that, and then several people were telling me, well, you need to get uh, your fuel pressure pressure gauge and put it on there and see what your full fuel pressure is. I said, well, I ain't got one. I don't want to spend thirty bucks to buy one when I could use that $30 to buy a sensor that I need to fix the problem. Well, you know, as, as life, as I always say, life is a great teacher. And uh, I think I've replaced uh, every sensor uh, on the engine now with the exception of, well, technically the ECM isn't a sensor, but I believe I've replaced all the sensors now. So I uh, finally decided to <laughs> buy a fuel pressure gauge which came in today, got it from Amazon, which came in today, and I promptly went outside, hooked it up, 
and uh, turned the key to the on position. Went over and looked at the gauge, and it said zero. Zero PSI. Um, looking a little closer, it wasn't really zero, but it might have been like five or or less pounds. And and I was wondering, did I just misunderstand how this thing works? Because I, I sure was thinking that it, 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 you know, once you turn the key on, the fuel pump comes on and it pressures up to, what is it, 45 pounds, 45 PSI? So um, I thought, well, that's strange. Let me, maybe th- there's a problem with the gauge. Let me try starting the engine. So I started it up. And, uh, you know, it's one of those deals where you have to go back and forth between um, where you start the engine and where you look at the gauge because the gauge is only, uh, the hose on it is, you know, two feet long, if that, and uh, you can't see it with the hood up. So I started the engine, walked back around, and looked, and, uh, you know, it's it's running like 49.5 PSI. And that was the other reason why I really didn't think there was a fuel pressure problem is because it, the Jeep runs and, and it has plenty of power and get up and go and it doesn't seem to be starved for fuel. So <clears throat> I went I said, well, you know, the gauge is working because 45 PSI is what, is what I was expecting and, and I'm getting nearly 50. So, okay, cool. So I went and turned the engine off, came back and looked and, and yeah, there was still pressure, but it was, boy, it was just dropping really fast. And pretty soon, uh, I mean, within five or ten seconds, it was down uh, below 10 PSI. And then it it just kind of sat there, like around 8 PSI, I guess. So I thought, well, you know, maybe I misunderstood. How could this thing be running and and not have a problem getting fuel if there's, you know, if it's not passing the basic test that I thought it was supposed to be, which is, I, th- I thought that the leak down test is supposed to be, uh, you it's supposed to be stay forty psi or better for for minutes, not seconds. I mean, I was sure I wasn't seeing the full psi of the engine off because it was dropping so fast. I mean, you literally could see the move the the needle moving uh, very quickly. So I thought uh, I came in. I posted some pictures of the up on XJ Talk of. Uh, of the readings I had on the gauge and um, on my my post about uh, uh, as engines start from one crank to two cranks, sometimes three cranks. Uh, so, and then I, I thought about what I was doing and I said, well, that's strange. I, I, I do have a copy of the field service manual electronically on my computer. So I pulled that up and I was looking at the diagnostic procedure and, and it says 49, uh, 49 and a half, I think PSI is normal. Uh, plus or minus five psi, and I certainly was within that range uh, with the engine running. So um, I thought, well, let me dig some more. Maybe I didn't understand how this thing is supposed to work. So I dug some more, and yeah, sure enough, the pressure should stay up. It shouldn't drop like that. So uh, reading more, it says one of the things it could be is a, a leaky injector, uh, not not allowing the pressure to be held. And I guess it could be a leaky injector, but but these are are not the original injectors. They are uh, Ford injectors, and um, I think they. I was told, and they certainly looked at looked like um, they had 19 miles on them. Came out of a Ford Mustang, and uh, I think they uh, 
a dealership had had uh, taken the taken them out and uh, replaced them with some uh, higher performance injectors. And uh, then I, I got these off of eBay. So, um, you know, I'm still in the diagnostic mode, so I guess it always could be a leaky, leaky injector, but but uh, I was having the same hard start problem uh, before I changed the injectors. So I don't think it's an injector. I don't think so. I guess it could be, but I don't think so. So continuing to look and dig and getting some feedback uh, from uh, members on xjtalk.com, I'm thinking, well, maybe it's the pressure regulator. It, it doesn't seem to be the pump, but it may be the pressure regulator. So I looked, and I see pressure regulators run anywhere from $70 to $100. And uh, on the uh, the 97 Plus, at least on the 98, uh, the pressure regulator is located on top of the gas tank. So I'm dropping the gas tank to change that regulator at least. Now, the problem, the quandary that I'm in is, you know, should I, I spend $100 on a pressure regulator, drop the tank, put on the pressure regulator, and then, uh, you know, run the test again and see if that fixes it? Uh, or should I just get a whole pump assembly, which includes uh, the pressure regulator, a new fuel filter, not, well, actually, that's that's part of the, uh, the regulator is a filter, but the, uh, the screen, yeah, that's what I was trying to say, the screen, a float, a new pump, the whole nine yards. And uh, I think uh, um, on, the, what was it? I want to say Round Rock, but on a, on a parts website um, that I don't have up now, it, uh, the Carter brand is $205. So for basically double the price of the, the uh, fuel reg regulator filter, I can get a whole thing. And I'm kind of leaning that way, even though it's $200 simply because I have to drop the tank. And if I'm going to go to the trouble of taking the tank skid plate off, taking the straps off, dropping the tank, blah, 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 <laughs> I might as well just do the whole thing. Now, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful, I mean, certainly this has something to do with the fuel system, <laughs> being that it's the, the way you get fuel out of the tank to the engine. I'm hopeful that this repair may improve my gas mileage because I've been fighting a gas mileage problem for several years now and, and has been one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, for changing out the sensors. Both O2 sensors, um, uh, the IAC, the MAF, the, <laughs> the TPS, um, I think, uh, well, I changed the CPS uh, for another reason and uh, had some problems, <laughs> put the original one back and got rid of the problems. So technically, uh, I, even though I have changed that sensor, it, it's, it's back with the original one and, and I do need to get a, a replacement. I think I will be getting that one from uh, the Chrysler dealership, though, because I don't know, the CPS is just so critical. But uh, yeah, but anyway, all the sensors, uh, temp sensor, the... Uh, IA, let's see, I said IAC, the IAH, is that right? H, the, the, basically the intake temperature sensor. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, unless there's a hidden sensor someplace I'm not aware of, uh, I've changed it. Uh, I've either changed it, put it back or, or it's, it's got a new one in there. 
So uh, unless there's a problem with the uh, the onboard computer, the ECM, um, you know, I, I I'm at a loss as to why I'm getting um, twelve and a half miles to the gallon. Other than um, you know the thing that I thought when I first lifted and put the larger tires on, this is what you what you, what happens whenever you um, play with the big boys whenever you do the lift and do the tires and everything else, you're going to, your gas mileage is going to suffer until I started hearing people, uh, talk about their, uh, gas mileage on their lifted rigs. And yeah, I know people can, can lie. They can exaggerate, but, uh, I don't think so. I think these people are actually getting, uh, I'd be pretty happy with 16, uh, city. And, and yeah, the 12 and a half is a city, not highway. So anyway, uh, obviously I've got a, a problem since it will, the, since the, the pressure will not hold, it drops very quickly. And uh, actually, uh, I, I think I was going this direction a while ago, and I didn't finish uh, my thought. Uh, after I had read a bit, I went back out into the garage, hooked up the uh, the fuel pressure gauge again, and did the, the three uh, ignition key on-off thing to see why I wouldn't, why the doing that wasn't getting the pressure up. So running back and forth again from uh, the inside of the vehicle around to the front where I could see the, the gauge, I could see that, you know, yeah, the, the fuel pressure was going up. And it was up past 40 PSI uh, and dropping quickly by the time I got around to, to see the gauge. So it was pretty clear to me at that point that what was going on is is that the the fuel pressure has been dropping so fast once the uh, the engine isn't running that uh, I just need, wasn't starting it quick enough. So uh, I tried the you know doing the key cycle on and off about a second between each cycle, and then right after that third cycle, I tried starting it and, and it started right up, and that's because the fuel pressure was up uh, around forty psi or better. So I'll do that in the morning, and then I'll feel, uh, you know, once it's sat overnight, then I'll feel a lot more confident that uh, the uh, the ignition key three uh, three on off cycle thing does get the fuel pressure up, and and that will solve the issue as far as uh, starting on the first attempt. And then I've got to, uh, you know, see about getting the, well, I got to decide if I'm going to get the the fuel pressure regulator, or if I'm going to get the um, the whole pump assembly and um, yeah I'm leaning towards the whole assembly because um, I think that it would be silly to, to go through the work of dropping that tank and then not uh, not just put in a whole new thing the one thing that's kind of scary when I first started pricing those uh, the fuel pump assembly it is about $419 for a the Chrysler part now that's not from the dealership. It's just something I saw online because I was looking up a a Chrysler part number, and uh, four hundred and nineteen dollars. I also read uh, while doing the research that the fuel filter, which is part of the fuel pressure regulator, is supposed to be changed at uh, I think I think the guy said fifty two thousand miles. And I'm just over 170,000. So, and I probably started seeing a a problem with the gas mileage 
uh, noticing it um, around 100,000, 110,000 miles uh, on the odometer. So I don't know. Uh, I wasn't measuring the, I wasn't really measuring the, the fuel, um, the MPG at that time. I really didn't do that until after I had lifted, uh, lifted the, the Jeep, the suspension lift, and then uh, put on the larger tires and wheels. And of course, gas was getting upwards of $4 a gallon at the time. So <laughs> I was motivated not only to monitor it, but to do something about it. And over the three years, let's see, July of this month would be three years that I've been collecting um, um, field uh, information or mile, miles per gallon information. Uh, the only thing that has made a drastic change in the, the mile per gallon was going from the 3.55 gears to the 4.56 gears. And that made about a two mile per gallon uh, increase. In gas mileage, I don't think it helps out much on the on the freeway, at least not with the 32 inch tires. But it certainly helped uh, the city gas mileage, the the stop and go, because it 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 seems to be easier now for the the engine to get the jeep moving, uh, getting up to speed. So we'll see. And and yes, uh, if you're wondering if the the speedometer has been corrected, yes, it it has been, and it always always has been while I've been measuring the gas mileage because um, before I got the, when I went to the 32 inch tires, I had the right gear to go in the transfer case. So it takes about 10 minutes, if that, to change out that gear. So once I, uh, once I had the, the 32 inch tires on there, I had the, the right gear in and it was measuring the speedometer GPS uh, verified. And then when I went to the 456 gears, I got the, uh, the little gear that goes with the 32 inch tires and the 456 gears. So speedometer's right. Um, way back when, when I had my 1983, four, um, not Ford, Chevy uh, four wheel drive, I hated not having the speedometer read correctly. Hated it. And uh, that was well before the internet. So research was done word of mouth and uh, four wheel drive magazines. And I happened to find a um, ad in the back of a four-wheel drive magazine where they would build you a, um, I don't know, gear reduction, whatever, something that you would take the the cable that actually spun and went up to the speedometer. Uh, it, it basically built put you built you an adapter that went between the transmission and that cable, and then it it would turn the cable the right number of revolutions to give you the correct speed on your speedometer. I think I spent 30 bucks on that thing. But it was very nice being able to tell the correct speed. And um, boy, it's just uh, so much easier with the Jeep than it was with that thing. And and I've read, uh, and the Jeep may do it too, I don't know. But uh, some are, are simply corrected by going into the OBD2 port and setting it. Um, I don't know. Uh, I've, I've never never seen a way to do that on, on the Jeep. But then again, I haven't experienced it all. So anyway, uh, I'm hopeful, but I've been disappointed many, 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 many times before. I'm hopeful that perhaps uh, getting this fuel system, fuel delivery problem uh, resolved may have a positive impact on my miles per gallon. We shall see.
So it looks like uh, Jensen is still offline, or, or at least he's away. So I'm not very hopeful for a uh, phone interview. But um, I kind of, uh, since I didn't do this uh, this show Wednesday night, I thought I better get on the stick and get it done. Uh, this evening I've been you know playing around with my uh, fuel pressure gauge. I also ordered a uh, compression gauge, compression tester gauge, and uh, I, I, I'm, I am planning on doing a compression check on the 4.0 and my 98. However, the real reason for that, that compression gauge is so that I can uh, work on my wife's 96 Ford Mustang that has either a, a blown intake gasket or more than likely a blown head gasket, hopefully not a, a cracked head. So I'll be using that compression tester to see if I can find find out which head it is, because I'm going to try to do the the minimal amount of work necessary to get the Mustang going again. And uh, you know, uh, it may wind up that uh, I, I that I fix this problem, and then the head on the other side has a problem. I'll just have to cross that bridge when it comes to it, because right now I have uh, the '99 Jeep Cherokee running and going so that my wife can drive it. Oh, and uh, yeah, that changed. We got a nice set of um, uh, BF Goodrich all-terrain 30-inch. It's uh, 30 by 9.5 by 15-inch tires. And uh, I was also able to pick up a nice set of Grizzly wheels, Jeep Grizzly wheels. They look a lot like the Ecos to me. And uh, that was from... Um, what is it, Cubs uh, uh, Cubs in 2019, and uh, XJ Talk member. Thank you very much. Those things look great. They look great with those tires. And, you know, <laughs> driving that 99 is just so nice. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't buck. It doesn't, uh, it's really smooth. It's not loud. It doesn't vibrate. <laughs> so... It's it's kind of it kind of spoils me because uh, uh, the only thing I don't like about it is it sits so low, but uh, it doesn't run hot on the highway, <laughs> and uh, it's very nice to, to it's a very nice vehicle. I'm I'm very happy with it. it. At this point, the bubbling that I was having in the radiator I do not see, so it's it's quite possible. Uh, although I had not seen this problem on the '98. It's quite possible that I was uh, I just had some trapped air in the, the coolant system after losing that uh, that lower radiator hose. And uh, my wife has been driving it out to the mall to drop off the girls and then driving back out there to get them. And uh, I was telling her that's 20 miles both ways. It's uh, 10 miles out there and 10 miles back. So, and she's been watching the uh, the temp the coolant gauge. And uh, it'll get up, uh, it'll go up past 210 occasionally, but it, it doesn't overheat. And if she gets out on the highway, it, it drops down well below 210. And uh, the, like I said, the bubbling has gone. The reservoir is, uh, the overflow reservoir is at the right level. So I'm just not seeing an issue. This weekend, I'm, uh, I'm going to go ahead and change out the upper, um, upper radiator hose on it, just so we don't have a repeat of... Uh, a hose blowing. Now the the lower radiator hose, I believe, has a lot more pressure on it from the uh, from the water pump. So I don't think that the upper hose is uh, as likely to blow. But uh, since it's my wife's you know vehicle, 
um, I don't really want to risk it. Uh, if it if something happens, then that means I've got to get to her, and then I've got to work on it someplace that's not going to be as convenient, and it's certainly going to be a lot hotter wherever uh, the engine and engine bay is certainly going to be a lot hotter, uh, me working on it on the side of the road someplace. So it's just best to go ahead and change the hoses. In fact, I should have done that the day uh, I bought it and got it home because you don't know uh, how old those hoses are. Uh, I mean, the factory clamps were, st- were still being used on the thing. So uh, that should have been a very good clue to me that uh, perhaps they weren't changed. Or if they were changed, it, it could have been done under maintenance, which means uh, a Chrysler certified engineer would have changed them and he would have reused those clamps or maybe even used some new clamps, but but still that same factory style. But, but n- nonetheless, it doesn't cost that much. I think the, the lower radiator hose was like 17 bucks or something. So not a big deal. And it would have... Uh, taken away a lot of grief uh, and time that I spent um, going through and working on if I had just done that. So uh, let that be a lesson to you. And uh, if you get a uh, a Jeep with uh, 100 plus thousand miles on it, don't assume the, the radiator hoses are good. Even if you drive it a long ways and you don't have a problem. In fact, that's probably what weakened the hose was me driving uh, out uh, 70 miles to a friend of mine's uh, uh, little shop that he has out in the woods and uh, driving it back 70 miles at uh, 80 plus miles an hour on the uh, uh, freeways. And then turned it over to my wife, very happy that the air conditioning had been fixed and it drove so nicely. Uh, very confident that she would do uh, very well and be very happy with it, uh, uh, able to drive uh, to a uh, a party that uh, her and the girls were going to or needed to go to, and um, and then it failed on the way back, and it was uh, the lower radiator hose and a loose uh, it seems to be a loose belt caused the uh, the issue with the uh, the alternator because we haven't had any other alternator issues with it dropping down to the 9 volts since I was able to uh, tighten the belt, which is another thing I need to replace. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be replacing that belt this weekend or not. So uh, we're going to do things a little differently, as I was mentioning at the top of the show. We're not going to do the live show, although somebody did mention doing the live show maybe once a month or once a quarter, and I like that idea. There's nothing wrong with, uh, with a live show. In fact, I thought it would be a lot of fun because people could uh, interact with uh, me and the guests via the chat room. I know um, on uh, some of the Ustream shows that I have um, watched and enjoyed, it, that dimension of being able to interact with uh, the person doing the show was a lot of fun. And um, for whatever reason, that didn't seem to be working out here. And it may just be that I need to build a bigger audience before we do the, the live show. I might have just tried to bite off too much at one at one go. And I think it worked pretty good to start with. I mean, we were having uh, 20, 30 people uh, listening to the shows to, the, to start with. But uh, we're going to try it a little different. Uh, so still going to be doing the podcast. Should still uh, get a show once a week. And uh, it may or may not be... On Wednesday, that's kind of up in the air. Like to like the, uh, for this show, for example, it's Thursday. Uh, maybe on a Friday, may 
maybe coming out on the weekend. I'll try to make it um, where you can count on the specific uh, day of the week so you won't have to wonder. And, of course, you can check uh, xjtalk.com and uh, just look up there for announcements as to when the show is going to be or any, any time changes and so on and so forth. But uh, I really appreciate you listening, and I hope you continue to listen. I hope you uh, will uh, tell some people uh, to listen. Uh, let's build a little audience. Let's get a little more uh, going on. I feel I feel a little awkward about asking people to be guests whenever there's uh, uh, only 20, 25 people subscribed to the podcast. Now, I don't know. Uh, I hear people say, you know, 25 people, that's, that's a lot more than two. <laughs> so be happy with that. Uh, and it just may be a learning curve from on my part as far as how many people uh, I should expect to, to be listening to the show. Uh, I'm just, frankly, a little surprised there's not more people listening. Not that I'm all that entertaining, but um, there's not any competition, you know, podcast about a Jeep Cherokee. And maybe maybe the subject matter is just too obscure. Anyway, like I said, learning curve, and hopefully I'll learn to... Uh, to improve upon things. But anyway, like I said, we're operating a little differently since we are not going to have the live show and the chat room where you can ask questions. And that even gives more emphasis on our call-in line. So we still got it. It's 24 by 7. It's voicemail. All you have to do, and it, and I think it'd be a lot of fun not only to have you, you know, your voice played on the show, your question, your comment, uh, feedback, whatever, uh, I think it'd be interesting to other people. So take the time to call our uh, a feedback line and ask your question, make your comment, whatever you'd like to do, and we'll play it on the show. That number is 530-675-4102. 530-675-4102. And again, it's a voicemail line. Nobody's going to answer. You don't have to worry about... Uh, saying something wrong or waking somebody up, just leave your message. If you mess it up and you want, don't want that one uh, to say, hey, I messed it up, I'll call back. Call back and try it again. And I'll put the, the best one uh, that, you, that you did on there, on the air. And there's no guarantee that I'll use it. But right now with uh, so few uh, to use, uh, I'll be happy to put them all on, get on as many as I can. And, of course, if we can't uh, play them or hear them all on, the, uh, on this week's show, then we'll, you know, we'll move into the next week. Hopefully we can build an audience and we can all have fun with this and, and learn. And I'm hoping that my experiences with my Jeep Cherokees uh, are helping you already. I know that uh, I've heard feedback from several people uh, on the, uh, the xjtalk.com site that uh, we've saved them a bunch of money. And I really, really like hearing that because that was one of my goals, to make a, a very useful uh, website where people could get on and share information and help each other out. And, uh, boy, saving money, that makes a, a huge difference, especially in uh, today's economy. So please call the, uh, the voice, uh, voicemail feedback line. And uh, don't forget, we're on Facebook and Twitter. You heard the announcement earlier. And uh, don't forget to well, don't forget to visit xjtalk.com. If you're not a member, get on there and register. It's free. Um, I mean, what's better than that? Free information and saves you money. Uh, if you're a uh, a Jeep vendor, 
uh, or you want to be, and uh, you've looked at some of the prices, advertising prices on the other sites, you can be a vendor and advertise on xjtalk.com for as little as $5 a month. That's five, one, two, three, four, five, five dollars a month. And that's a price that anybody can afford. And we did that on purpose because we don't want to keep the little guy who has the next great pro the, the next, not project, the next great product for Jeep Cherokee. We don't want to keep that hidden under a bush. We want to be able to get that, get the word out. So you know, consider uh, consider it. We we were hitting a hundred thousand uh, page uh, images a month, and that's dropped down. I don't know if it's because of summertime or what, but uh, we had uh, gone up above a hundred thousand, and now we're back down to around seventy nine thousand page impressions a month. So uh, that's still a lot. So uh, the price performance, the five dollars a month for uh, eighty thousand page impressions a month, that's a that's a pretty good deal. So again. Thank you for listening. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Sorry that we're not having the live show, but uh, I think it'll be back uh, with your help and uh, continued support and uh, with your calls <laughs> to the feedback line. I think it'll get people involved, and, and that's what's important. That's what's important on this whole thing. Get involved. Post on the site. You got a question? It doesn't matter what the question is. Uh, no matter how simple or dumb you think it is, Somebody else has that same question. I know you hear this stuff from from school and and, uh, teachers, but it really is true. That's kind of the nice thing about me uh, running the site. I can ask the dumb questions, and only a few people will call me stupid, and and usually they do that to my face. (laughs) Okay, guys, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll see you next week. This has been Episode 32 of the Jeep Cherokee XJTalk.com show. Everybody have a good day.